Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Stocks slammed as the bond market flashes a major recession warning. The Dow handing in one of its worst days of the year as fear grips Wall Street. So what should you be doing with your money following a day like today? Our team of traders are standing by to break it all down. A special edition of Fast Money starts right now. And we are live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. A brutal day on Wall Street stocks plunging as the yield curve inverted for the first time since 2007. The selling widespread. The Dow dropping more than 800 points. All 11 S&P 500 sectors finishing the day in red. The market meltdown leaving many investors on edge and sparking fears that a recession could be on its way. So what's your take on the day? Guy Dami. Well, my take on the day is it makes a lot of sense. I mean, volatility is here. I think volatility will continue to grind higher. Pete can speak to this. When is it over? I mean, that's what everybody wants to know, so I can pontificate. But what should be looking for? In my opinion, I think you're looking for a VIX that climbs near 30. We've seen it sort of peak out at those levels before when the market basically troughs. Or you're looking for the S&P 500 to put in a low about 2690 or so, which if you do the math is midway between the low we saw on December 24th and the recent high in the S&P 500 of 3025. <clears throat> Carter will be on. I'm sure he'll speak to levels. But those are the things you're looking for. In terms of does it make sense, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'll say this as well. The gold market has been telling you something in this, something like this has been in store for the last few months, Mel. The data around the world, negative yields around the world, have also been telling you the same story, Tim. And we really got a dose of very bad data that started us off on the wrong foot. Look, the, the, the data continues to get worse, and Guy starts talking about what he needs to see different. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think we're in a case where the data really, um, while the leading indicators 12 to 15 months ago already started to, to give way, um, it, it's hard to say that the data is anywhere close to troughing, especially when we haven't really even begun to solve some of these trade disputes or trade sanctions or trade restrictions, which continue to be the dynamic. Again, you've got industrial production tonight in Japan. You can be watching that. Tomorrow morning, we have retail sales in the United States. We have an Empire State survey, a lot of regional Fed surveys in memory. We've seen some, some multi-year lows. We've seen 10-year lows on a lot of the Asian PMIs, Hong Kong, obviously, with the extreme case. Uh, but again, yesterday you saw German uh, confidence indicators at, at 2,000. 2011 area. And that, that to me is a market where we didn't have any confidence. So I need to see data change. And you're right. Uh, it's the data that really led us lower. Yeah. And then you pile on top of that what Secretary Ross told Squawk Box this morning, effectively that the September trade talks that we all thought were happening yeah, with the I Chinese mean, coming to Washington, D.C., nothing not has so been much. formalized yet. Mm-hmm. So if we thought that was a catalyst, we don't even know if that is going to happen at this point. Uh-huh. You know, so yesterday's rally we had was on the Trump news with China, maybe progress there. I really, I was surprised at how strong that rally was because how many times are they going to play this, oh, there'll be a deal, there'll be a deal, there'll be a deal. I mean, this has been now, we're coming up to a year when they first started tariffs. So uh, maybe they will start talking, maybe they won't. I don't think we can rely on it. To me, though, I mean, there was a lot to hate about today. It didn't seem that ultra panicky, though, till the end, right? It sort of really did start to sell off at the end. 
I don't know what to make of it all, except, you know, the market's down 2.6% for the week. It's not that much off its all-time highs. Yet this action between Monday, yesterday, and today, the net of that being down 2.6, it's much worse than that, right? Because CEOs, they get uncomfortable as investors get uncomfortable. Consumers get uncomfortable. Consumers get uncomfortable looking at this kind of volatility. So that's uh, that's not great. You don't want to have a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of fear begetting contraction. I don't know what to do here, actually. I'm not a buyer. Normally, you know, I always say things trade down in integers. I like to be out there. I have a list. I wasn't close to buying anything today. I'm going to wait. Yes. Um, A lot of people make the argument, Pete, that uh, most Americans are not in the stock market, so they won't feel this pain. But they see a headline in tomorrow's newspaper or online right now, Dow down 800 points. They're going to call their broker. They're going to call wherever their money is. And obviously we know that the Chinese economy is slowing down from significant levels from where it had been so powerful to where it is now. And then you hear the German news. I mean, the more people understand about the market and the more they they look into it and read these headlines, Mel, the the more scared they're obviously going to get. And I think we already know... This algorithmic trading, it moved to the upside on Tuesday when we went up 400 points, just like when we went down 400 points on Monday. Today, same type of thing. Some of those moves were so fast, that is not human. That is algorithms that are hitting, and they are definitely flowing to the downside. And there's all the headlines in the world that you could use right now to trigger some of these moves to the downside. You mentioned volatility. Just last week, or actually on Monday, we had huge buying of the January 30 strike calls in the VIX. Now, they were right last time when they were buying huge amounts of volatility index calls. And now, are they going to be right again? Will it? By the way, doesn't mean it has to go to 30. It just means that they are seeing upside, and those volatility options could move very, very rapidly, Mel, to the upside. Right. If we get up towards 26, 27, they're moving. They don't, doesn't have to go through 30, and that's what people forget so much of the time. Well, they bought the 30s, it's got to go to 30. No, it doesn't. They're just buying something that they valued, and they said, you know what, we're going to own this because we think this is going to happen. So when you look at all of this right now, I think there's a lot of different things. We were seeing put buyers today more so than I've seen in a very long time, and I talked about it earlier in the day, but I'll bring it up again. The EEM, 62,000 puts were rolled from August into September, and they went down from 40 and a half to the 37 and a half. They are expecting the EEM, which is led by China, to go a lot lower than it is even today. They're expecting even more to the downside. Right. So all day long we've been talking about the source of of the selling, and it was the inversion of the yield curve. And there's a huge debate as to whether or not this indicates if we're going to be in a recession or not. Does it matter at this point if that is the indicator for a recession? We're always looking for reasons to identify why things happen. I understand you want to be able to label it happen for these reasons. I totally get it. And obviously today specifically, those headlines mattered. But go back and I'll say it again. Go back and look at the way Facebook reversed after they reported earnings. That was a 215 or so dollar stock. Look where it is now. Same thing happened with Amazon. And effectively, although not entirely the same level, Apple's done a very similar move to the downside. My point is, they're big, huge stocks that sort of led this. Now, we'll talk about the inverted yield curve. Yes, obviously it's not a great thing. The bulls will say it's different this time. I'm not certain that that's the case. But quickly, in terms of what Pete was saying about consumer confidence, you just said it. We're going to have a special tonight. The evening news will lead with Dow down 800. People see that for a day, a couple days. They say maybe we shouldn't be getting that Starbucks. And when 73% of your economy is driven by the consumer and a consumer flinches, that's when you have real problems. I think the bears could argue that this inversion is even worse this Yeah, so around. I don't know if, which camp I want to be put in. I will just speak for the bears right now and uh-huh. say that's exactly right. So first of all, threes, tens, three-month out 
out to 10. It's been inverted since May. So, so to be clear, um, that tells you a market that really thinks the Fed, to oversimplify this, the Fed is really offsides uh, because the Fed is controlling the short end of the curve at this point. Um, if you think about what a lot of very talented strategists have come on our show to tell you is that when you have an inverted yield curve, you have anywhere from 12 to 18 months where oh. equities can actually can we, can start. Can show that graphic, oh, actually? We've we got should, the data. We should do that. The data behind we it. We should do that. Right. So, so, so the bottom line for that is um, in a normalized yield curve environment, which there is no such thing as a normalized yield curve environment, you have some period where equities can actually continue to outperform until the, the teeth of the recession kick in. The bottom line is that was never going on with 10-year bonds at minus 65 basis points. That was never going on where you had 16 trillion of negative yielding bonds around the world. You have a dynamic here, which we have never seen. And I get back to what I say. The, the market is behaving, the bond market is behaving as if we have black swan risk, that we have three standard deviation risk. And the moves in the bond market have been three standard deviation moves. And you don't just get those moves and they don't just go away quietly. And it wasn't happening either when the Fed had so few bullets left to use if there was an actual recession on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing. And, and, and what, are, what is the next step to the Fed? And, and, and is there, are they putting themselves into, or have they been put into a corner by the president who is continually just coming after them and after them and after them? Mel, I'll just bring up one last thing. This gold run that we've seen, it has been going on for a while. It's not, I see a lot of gold bulls suddenly coming in saying, hey, I think it's time to buy gold. By the way, this started in May. I mean, the GLD was 120, now it's 143. 52-week highs now. GDX, 52-week highs again today. SLV, 52-week highs today. So there's been some running that's already happened into this. So I just want people to understand that, hey, look, are you buying a top? I'm not saying it's the top, but I am saying this has been something that's been going on now for at least a month, in some cases two or three months, Mel. And to keep an eye, you have to be disciplined. I took off all my GDX today because I've been overexposed in these metals. And I don't want to have too much exposure there because... At any moment, if we get any kind of positive news in the market, I think we'll start to see the GLD and the GDX and the SLV, all of that start to pull back if we see a big positive. All right. Well, Pete mentioned the Fed. President Trump actually ripped the Fed during today's sell-off, calling the central bank clueless. Let's bring in Steve Leisman with more on that. Steve. Yeah, well, as you guys were talking about, it's been a consistent theme for the president to to criticize the Federal Reserve nearly every day, but especially when there are big market sell-offs. What he does not blame is his own trade policies that economists believe are weakening the U.S. and global economies and look to consistently be the spark for this market volatility. I'll read you this tweet with the regular caution that uh, he often contains significant misstatements. We're winning big, big time against China company. China companies and jobs are fleeing. Prices to U.S. have not gone up and in some cases have come down. China is not our problem, though Hong Kong is not helping. Our problem is with the Fed, raised too much and too fast, now too slow to cut. Spread is, and I suppose he means here, the spread between the U.S. yields and foreign yields is way too much as other countries say thank you to clueless Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve. Germany and many others are playing the game. Crazy inverted yield curve. We should easily be reaping big rewards and gains, but the Fed is holding us back. We will win. The Fed has typically not responded to any of the president's criticisms. Uh, Worth pointing out, the Fed last cut rates when the outlook was for slower growth. But for China and the U.S. to continue talking, there were no new tariffs on the table at the time. If there is a recession, as is often implied by an inverted yield curve, here's how the Fed could potentially respond. 
Cutting rates would be an obvious thing. They have eight quarter point rate cuts left. Perhaps surprising the market would get a little bit more effect to it. It could obviously restart quantitative easing. It just ended tightening uh, last uh, at the last meeting. And, of course, there's the possibility, which some folks are talking about, of a reverse twist. You remember during the financial crisis, shortly after, the Federal Reserve acted to uh, reduce yields on the long end. They could take operations to raise yields and reinvert the curve. I will say with caution that uh, I've not had any support or not, not heard any support from Fed officials on an idea of actually targeting the yield curve. Well, we'll get a sense next week at Jackson Hole of just how seriously the Fed takes the issue and the extent to which it feels a mer- more urgent response may be needed, guys. Melissa? Um, Steve, Joe Lavornia today was mentioning a 75 basis point cut at the September meeting. I can't keep ahead of Joe. I, I can't even... keep. I, I said. I said. I said maybe fifty, and Joe one ups me on the twenty on, on the seventy five. Well, if Look, you want to surprise the markets, right? You <laughs> yeah, can't. You I, I can't go you, fifty. Is you, you can't sort of do what's the surprise expected. they expect, right? It, right. That'll be the fifty. Look, um, I think there's reason for the Federal Reserve to be cautious. Um, you guys on the desk are smart enough to understand that that the differential on real yields is far less than the differential on the nominal yields with foreign banks. If you were to look at it, I think I looked at it this morning, it's about a 60 basis point differential because European inflation is so much lower than U.S. inflation. So there's not that much to go, not, not, not that much difference between the two. The Fed, of course, can surprise and can use rates. The question is, do you use your ammunition before you're sure that it's really a very serious downturn uh, as the market's expecting here? Why wouldn't the Fed want to target a specific part of the yield curve? It seems like it would be so surgical, and it could be effective in uninverting that curve. So there's a long tradition of the Federal Reserve targeting the short end and using the one tool it has, the funds rate. It stepped, I guess you'd call it, out of bounds or out of its normal role during an extreme moment when there were real problems and the Federal Reserve was really desperate to try to kickstart the economy and used Operation Twist, for which there are really mixed reviews. I think the Fed really, it's probably almost ridiculous to say this, the Fed really wants to get back to its knitting of controlling the curve, uh, using the short end and using bonds. It wants to sell mortgages. I think one of the things that's happening here is that the Fed's dreams of getting back to normal are sort of going up in smoke. Yeah, seems that way. Uh, Steve, thank you so much. Pleasure. Steve Leisman, let's trade this. Tim, what do you think? Well, Steve is pointing out that you have a a dynamic where the Fed certainly has a a toolbox it can go to. But the question is, if we look at central banks, has any of it actually worked? The good news is that Europe actually has a bigger deflationary spiral. So those people that are looking at... Um, kind of this relative value trade, which still very much favors owning U.S. 10 years over German. Um, the, the one part about what we haven't spoken about, the risk kind of dynamics tonight, is that we haven't talked about the dollar, which to me uh, is reasserting strength and is certainly uh, a, a bigger concern because the next leg, the fall, is that emerging market currencies come under attack. And, and that is something that we have seen at multiple times throughout crises that haven't necessarily, by the way, the last couple have not emanated in emerging markets, but they've ended up there. Makes sense. You know, Pete talks about being disciplined in the gold market. I totally get it. And he's right. This has been going on now for probably longer than he even mentions. The gold markets had this stealth rally that everybody's talking about. With that said, everything that Steve just talked about, that Tim mentioned, goes right back to the gold market. And I'll say this, and I'm not an economist. I say it all the time. But there's this mythology that somehow lowering rates magically makes economies 
do better. And Tim just alluded to this. They ain't really working that well in Europe and clearly didn't work all that well in Japan. And my point, my pushback would be just because everybody else is going down that rabbit hole, why should we? I don't understand why it's the right thing to do. And quickly, in 2011, July of 11, you know, then citizen Trump was talking about the Fed keeping rates low, creating these huge asset bubbles. He was right then. I'm not quite sure what's changed in the last eight years. All right. Well, we have full coverage of today's big sell-off. Be sure to catch a CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, more on today's mega market meltdown. Hedge fund vet Mark Yusko is with us. He's sounding the alarm big time where he sees major market bubble that's about to burst. Plus, the next few levels to watch where stocks will be headed following today's massive sell-off. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a brutal session on Wall Street today. The Dow having its worst day of the year and crossing below its 200-day moving average for the first time in more than two months. Joining us now by phone is Cornerstone Macro Head of Technical Analysis, Carter Worth. So, Carter, now that Dow is uh, below the key level, where do we head next? Sure. So, I mean, I think it's important to know, right, that Dow has spent as much time above as below in the sense that a moving average is really what's considered an automated trend line. If you're trending, it really matters, right? If you're in a steep uptrend or a steep downtrend. What we know is what's important is that the market has not been trending, right? It's been stalling for the better part of 18 months. And so while we gyrate above and below these key levels, the internals keep slipping. And so uh, by all accounts, one has to say, the June lows are in play. That can happen uh, if you were to go down, for instance, as much in the Dow as you went down today, tomorrow, you're getting into those levels instantaneously. As we stand now, we're not much worse than we were on Monday's low a week ago. And so the initial plunge, that 6% sell off in about four or five sessions, and we've been backing and filling, right? We popped yesterday, news, now we've given it back. But the churning, I think, is a normal process for the market as the individual securities continue to weaken. And um, that's the that's the issue, that trouble like this never comes out of nowhere. It's been brewing. Uh, we know that European banks have been making lows for two and three and four years, Japanese banks. We know the internals in the U.S. from industrials to financials. And yet this, the optics of the S&P was always the illusion, whereas every other aggregate, mid-cap, small-cap, transports, never were confirming, and now it's all coming out in the wash. Okay, so let's get to levels, Carter, and, and home in on the S&P 500. You said new lows. You're saying we're going to test December lows, so that would be, what, 20, 30, 47-ish? So for us to go to the June low, that's 27.28. We close mm-hmm. at 28.40. You can do that in an instant. Now that would be um, another 3.8% from here. But ultimately, and the big subject is, if indeed the December lows are in play, right, which is the 23.50 plus minus level, this will all come out as being nothing but a bear market rally. We were never in a new bull, 
And that's what the divergence was always saying. Carter, thanks for phoning in on a day like today. You bet. Thanks, guys. Let's trade it. Okay, show of hands. Oh, I'd love the show of hands. Ooh, that's a great game. <laughs> it's not quite a game. It's oh. just you put your hand up and you agree. Oh. Will, we de- will we test December lows? By when? In what By time frame, yeah. Melissa? Oh. <laughs> By when? Yeah. Lord. In the yeah. next six months. Wow, 2350. In the so next six months. I don't know. I mean, I know I the answer. No. About six months ago, we were at those lows. But, but let's put, so, okay, yeah. let's play the game. Say 50, ha- around 50 50, we're split on a desk, let's just say. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, are again, you, are, again are, we're 75. I'll take Where are you? I'll take Pete. I'll be with Pete. Which is shocking because Pete usually leans toward the bullish side. I tend to be, but I read the paper. And I've seen put buying. I'm not kidding you. EEM today, spider put buying. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there that are sort of positioning. And and if it it could happen. But the president who has said all along the stock market is a benchmark, it's a report card for his administration. You know, at what point does he do something to try to get this thing back on the rails? He tried it yesterday, somewhat unsuccessfully. I guess my point is, will he do a marginalized or some half-baked deal with the Chinese just to get the headlines back on his side? To me, that's a real concern, on top of which, do they start intervening in the U.S. dollar, which is equally crazy, I think. So those are the things you have to be concerned about. What will the president do if this market continues and to And a crater? half-baked idea, of course, is contingent on the Chinese willingness to Which I've said all along. Why would you do a deal if you were there? All right. Yeah, well, I, I think if you look at the China's playbook right here, first of all, they, they, they are dealing with Hong Kong. I think they have to figure that out before you have the 70th anniversary of the Communist Party on October, October 1st. Yeah. I think that's a big deal for them. I think that's where they're more focused, frankly. So they, they don't have any reason to get anything done. By the way, if we go down to those December lows, if you're tracking the S&P, which, which I do more than I do the Dow, um, if you took from the day after elections or essentially that immediate election rally um, of so no, November 11th of 2016 to that December low, you've had a market that's up about 6% over two years, um, which isn't terribly impressive, which would certainly be not a very good show or a report card for anybody if that's your report card. All right, let's talk about one uh, sector that really got creamed today. Banks, XLF, financials ETF entering a correction, while the S&P banking and regional bank ETFs both slipped into a bear market. Um, so what do we make of this bank beatdown? I mean, it's really being held hostage by two things, the inverted yield curve and then just fears about growth. Fears, right. To me, the inverted yield curve is really kind of a red herring when it comes to the bank. There's this perception it's a giant two's 10-year spread, which it's not. But clearly, you know, a flatter, lower rate is not uh, less margin opportunity for the banks. But we've seen that NIM kind of plateau even in this very low rate environment. For me, it's concerns about the economy and this knee-jerk reaction, you know, lower rates, banks bad. Selling. I'm long banks. Today's a very painful day to be long. Are you long JP as Morgan many City? banks as you've been in the past? I am JP said? Morgan, Citibank, Bank of America. I'm long about as long as I have been for a while. So um, I think it's overdone, but absolutely could trade lower. I mean, it came into the year at 99, maybe JP Morgan, for example. But I, I think it's overdone. I, I think I think what what would be scary about uh, continued move in banks is that banks had regained the trust of the investment community. And I mean, uh, in terms of not only just were balance sheets in a better place, uh, in many cases, record profits, but but being run to be giving capital back to investors, dividend yields that are between two and a half and three percent. Remember, before the financial crisis, this was a place and a safe place to invest. If you were a big institutional investor, they are back into the banks right now because of those two factors. And I think that's what makes this very significant right now. It's very painful. Last quick uh, question to Pete. Do you think that we're going to test this December lows in the next six months, where are you on banks or, or your portfolio overall? 
Yeah, when I'm looking at banks, I have three right now that I'm holding. It's Bank of America City and U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank I feel the most comfortable with, but some of the other ones, I, I just view them as they're so cheap relative to all the different metrics we all like to talk about all the time. So that's why I've got them. And I can sell calls against those, so I feel okay with those. But this is not a comfortable time to be in the banks. That's why I was curious if Karen's had as much exposure right. now as she has in the past. I, do, well, I have a reduced today, amount. Only well, by itself, you know. Self- I've reduced my exposure thing, to yeah. the banks to those just those three at this point in time. But I, if something were to turn, I absolutely would want to jump on them because I do think they're too cheap. All right. For more on the sell-off in the banks, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. A dire warning from a hedge fund legend. Mark Yusko says a massive market bubble is about to burst. He'll tell us where he's seeing all the big warnings. And later, the retail wreck. Macy's, Kohl's, Nordstrom, all falling hard in today's sell-off. Why now could be the perfect time to go shopping for a discount. Fast Money is back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A major sell-off hitting Wall Street today after the bond market flashed a big warning sign that a recession could be on the way. The yield curve inverting for the first time since 2007. Our next guest says there's an even a bigger problem brewing in bond land, though. Let's bring in Mark Yusko, CEO of Morgan Creek Capital Management. Mark, great to see you. What, hey, is, this, what is this bigger problem in the bond market? Yeah, look, I think we've got the, the biggest bond bubble we've ever seen in history and it's starting to show signs of deterioration. And, you know, we've talked about this really since last fall, where the markets are playing out very similar to 2000, 2001, 2002. And in 2001, we had the mild recession, and it was 2002 where you had the, the bond bubble explode with Enron and WorldCom. And, and I think the same thing's starting to happen here. You've got so many corporate companies that are really over leveraged. They've been issuing debt to buy back stock. And that's finally coming, you know, that uh, they have to pay the piper now that growth is slowing and profits are falling. So when you're talking about a bubble in the bond market, you're talking specifically about corporates or are you also including the tenure on this? Uh, Definitely governments. You know, you think look around the world, you know, German uh, bonds are down at negative point six. Japanese bonds are negative. Swiss bond markets negative out to 30 years. Who could possibly believe that? And, and it's just because the marginal buyer, the buyer of last resort, the ECB, is, not, is doing non-economic things. And so U.S. rates are now following that. And, you know, we, there's a lot of talk about this yield curve inversion. And one of the things that I think is very interesting is if short rates were where they should have been, right, if the Fed had raised them to equal the nominal GDP back three years ago, we'd be very inverted and we'd, there'd be no question we're on the verge of recession. Mark, it's Karen. Let me play devil's advocate on the corporate uh, borrowing side. So rates have been very low for a long, long time. Corporations have had a long time to get their balance sheets in better shape. So how would you compare where they are now to that O2 that you talked about that was there's some widespread fraud? Um, Maybe it wouldn't shock anyone to have fraud, but that seemed more of a catalyst to me than it would be this time around. Well, I think you're, you're absolutely right, Karen, that, that there were sectors where there, there was real, real problems, telecom in particular. But, but look at certain industries, you're starting to see a little stress in energy and lending, and look where oil prices are headed. There are a lot of very over-levered 
companies in the oil patch that, that could easily disappear, their equity could disappear, the bondholders could be the new equity holders. There are companies like Tesla that uh, the equity could disappear in a heartbeat because uh, they can't pay back the bondholders. So I, I, I agree with you that not the entire market, but I think there are certain companies, look at Pepsi and Coke, uh, McDonald's, a lot of companies issuing a lot of debt to buy back stock. I think that was a bad idea as we go into a weaker economy. Hey, Marcus, Tim, so your forecast certainly is it gets nastier in 2020 based upon the debt dynamic. What, what's the next shoe to drop? You're a big emerging markets veteran. Um, yep. EM currencies have held in okay. Where do we go here? Yeah, look, I, I have to say I was agreeing with your commentary earlier that, you know, EM has, has really been uh, much softer than I would have anticipated uh, in the past few months. And, you know, prices were cheap. And they started to rally, and then they all of a sudden got cheaper. You look at something like Argentina, you know, the, just the viciousness of that correction earlier this week. So I'm a little more nervous about how bad the global economy is. I mean, think about it. There are 15 economies around the world where the 30-year is below Fed funds in the U.S. So the global yield curve is very, very inverted. And that's usually not been a good sign historically. Mark, one quick last question. That is, you know, in recent weeks, a lot of people have been making a big thing about Bitcoin's run higher uh, and the correlation it seemed to have been having with global turmoil. Things have seemed to have gotten worse and Bitcoin also turned lower. So should we throw that narrative out the window or at least table it? Well, look, I've been saying for a long time that, you know, people who watch the daily price of Bitcoin are really missing the whole point, right? The whole idea of Bitcoin is, it's a store of value. It's a chaos hedge or schmuck insurance, as I like to call it. And what we need to think about is the long-term trend. Every year, the low is higher. The value of the network goes up. And so to worry about day-to-day valuations and prices really misses the major point, which is you want to own a piece of the network. You want to have one, two, three, five percent of your net worth in this asset as a hedge against all the problems that we see in the fiat markets and in the equity markets. Look, equities are very overvalued. Bonds are overvalued. It's tough to find an asset that is undervalued. The only one I can really find is volatility. And it uh, has become less undervalued in the last couple of days. Mark, thanks. Mark, Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Do you agree with his commentary about bubbles? Yeah, yes. I mean, because when the genie's out of the bottle with this rate thing, I mean, ex- rates are going to explode to the upside. That's a real concern. That's for a different show. But I'll say this just to play the other side. If there are real concerns out there, which there clearly are, they're not manifesting themselves in the HYG, the high, the high yield ETF. Down less than 1% today. When that starts to crater, you get worried. It hasn't happened yet. So at least for now, high yield might be telling you a different story. Is Schmuck story. An, an investment term? Um, I'm not sure. We okay. could look it up in Investopedia and see what it says. Okay. Uh, coming up, the retail rack. Macy's having its worst day since January. We'll tell you what today's sell-off could mean for the group as it heads into earnings, plus a big bet on volatility. Wine options traders just wagered nearly $1 million at the market madness is just getting started. We'll break down that action. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Cisco. That stock is down more than 7% after hours. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the details. Josh. 
So, Melissa, you know, I, I caught up uh, quickly with RBC's Mitch Steves. He covers the name. Uh, says basically uh, the report itself was basically in line with this guidance uh, Mitch is saying weak on both the bottom and the top. And that tells us, he says more broadly, that overall IT spending could be slowing down here, too. On the call, uh, right off the top, CEO Chuck Robbins was asked, though, about that guidance. He, he picked off a couple different themes here. One is his continued challenges uh, in service providers. So that would include your carriers, traditional carriers, mobile carriers. Uh, America's basically the same. Uh, Europe was positive. Asia, though, continued weakening. Uh, did see indications, Chuck Robinson, of, of some macro shifts that we didn't see in the prior quarter. Not as strong a finish as we would typically expect to a Q4, Robinson said. Said he was been amazed by the resilience of the economy and hoping it can bounce back if we get resolution to some of these issues. And then on China, Robbins did say we definitely saw significant impact on our business in China as it relates to what's going on with the trade war right now. Um, overall, China not a big part of Cisco's business, but it can have an impact. Um, they sell, for example, infrastructure to carriers in China. Robin's saying that they are being uninvited to bid or participate like they used to. On tariffs, uh, CFO Kelly Kramer addressed that question, said they continue uh, to do everything in her words they can do. Confident they're able to offset those headwinds from tariffs uh, with the continued benefit from software. Tomorrow, uh, be sure to tune in to CNBC. CEO Chuck Robbins is going to be on CNBC on Squawk on the Street, fielding questions about this report and I'm sure about a lot else. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Uh, Pete Nigerian, what did you make of this quarter? It's a, na- it's a name that absolutely has had an absolute screaming move to the upside, all right, since 2019, since we started the year. So I, I can see and understand, actually, Chuck Robbins last quarter said, you know what, I don't think China's going to be as big a deal, the trade deal, and blah, blah, blah. He was very open about they that. They rerouted he mentioned their supply chain. I mean, right. it was a big And now we're hearing 25% of that revenue has yeah. pulled back in China. So I would say this. I, I love the name. I still think it's inexpensive. I think there's a lot of different positives that could come out of this. I wouldn't jump on it now, though, despite the fact that it's down 7%. When you look at the gains it's already made, I would wait longer, Mel, to buy this thing at a little bit better P.E. level. But it leads to a broader question you've been asking since last week. As we get into September, October, are CEOs going to cut back on spending? And, and maybe this, is, this Cisco guide is one of the first salvos into exactly what you're are, talking are about. Are we going right? to look back at this guidance and think... That Cisco CEO was on to something. Well, you were on to something before the Cisco CEO, sister, so well done by you. But to Pete's <laughs> point, it, the stock at 14 times, it is cheap. If this quarter stands alone, you say, oh, my God, operating margins were 32%. The street was looking for 31%. That's a really good quarter. But then they tell you, you know what, things might not be great going forward. That's concerning, but it's concerning on a far broader level, I believe. All right, here's another earnings story. Shares of Macy's touching its lowest level in nearly a decade on weak results. Macy's posting a huge miss on earnings slash guidance for the year, taking down a number of other big retailers today, including Kohl's, Nordstrom, L Brands, and The Gap. Retail now sitting in a bear market, down 27% from its high. So it's the beginning of more pain for this space. Well, so some of I uh, went through and read the transcript. Actually, I normally like to listen to it, but yet a little different nuance. But anyway, read the transcript. A lot of what happened to Macy's was idiosyncratic and I think self-inflicted wounds. So uh, a big gross margin miss. And they blamed some of that on uh, about 100 basis points on inventory that they were too heavy in, that they had to mark down to be able to move it to come in to be in a better position of inventory going in to this quarter. So that was sort of on them, and they highlighted some of the reasons some of their own private label brands didn't sell well. They missed. So that, I think, of is specific to them. They also have a gross margin miss on the delivery of being 
an online retailer, right? That transformation. That is not only their problem, right? That's a, a wider problem. I, I'm sort of, the stock actually opened even lower than where it closed. It actually rallied almost a buck by the end of the day from its worst level. It's sort of amazing to me. I think the yield now is over nine. All that still having been said, they seem to be flailing around trying to find things that work. Good for them for trying to find things that work. But I'd rather they have things that are proven to work, which it doesn't seem they do yet. Well, the, the, the cop is, is also still really tough. So if, and you look at that gross margin pressure, that I think was the big deal. Um, the, the, the fact that this sets a terrible tone going into apparel season um, for the company that people would like to see different. But as Karen's pointed out, I mean, these guys are going through a painful transition that doesn't necessarily mean higher gross margins. But for Macy's, uh, I, I still think that this is a turnaround. There's expectations of a major hockey stick in the second half of the year. Obviously, holiday season is, is what people are betting for. Mm-hmm. Walmart and Target seem to hold up a little bit better than the rest of the pack. They held up pretty good. Target's had this great run this year so far. Once again, one of those names that's done really well. I think those names are in a completely different spotlight right now than the names that we're talking about when we're talking about Macy's yep. and Nordstrom, which cannot find its way out. The last couple of quarters have been absolutely awful. They, It almost seems like something's weird going on there, Mel, because they want to buy back their own company, and yet every quarter they seem to do more, worse and worse which, you know, you can read between the lines of what I think right there. So I think there are names out there that are trying to do things that are going to be very, very interesting in the future. Target and Walmart are actually executing because they've had a better vision of the future. All right. Coming up, volatility sweeping the market today as a major sell-off slams stocks. Now options traders are betting on even more wild swings ahead. We'll break that down. And we are just a few hours away from markets in Asia opening. Today's Wall Street sell-off spill overseas. We'll take you live to Singapore for the setup. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are awaiting the open of the Asian markets on the back of today's turmoil here in the United States. So will today's sell-off spill overseas? Let's get to Sri Jagaraja live for us in Singapore. Good morning to you, Sri. Hi, Melissa. Good morning. Uh, There's no diplomatic way to say this, is there? It looks as though we're going to get smoked here this Thursday out in Asia. The futures are implying a near 500-point decline for the Nikkei when we open. And uh, once again, Japanese equities are essentially going to be a victim of the success of the Japanese yen as a safe haven. Dollar yen trading below the 106 handle. And it's worth pointing out that, again, risk off today is only going to be aggravated by what we are seeing in terms of the global picture. Europe, emerging markets, the conversation on Brexit, Hong Kong and the stronger dollar, they're all going to be additional pressure points on sentiment and on our markets. So expect a bruising day ahead for the Asian session. And it looks as though uh, that's going to provide some food for thought for the Fed and also uh, the great and good and the central bankers that will be gathering at Jackson Hole later on this month. It looks as though they are going to have to circle the wagons. Back to you now, guys. Sheree, thank you. Sri Jagaraja in Singapore for us. Uh, tomorrow, what are we watching for? By the way, I think smoked is a financial term. I like that. Sri used it very well. Definitely used, yeah. Well, well if, you, if you think about that, uh, you know, U.S. markets have on some level been following the Asian pain. Uh, and if you think about where uh, Japan is arguably outside of Germany, kind of the global export uh, play, I, I think what we have to see is some healing there, and it's not going to come straight there. We have an industrial production number that's coming out. Um, I don't think you're going to anytime soon. Uh, and we've kind of forgotten about the yuan for the last couple of days, too, in terms of that fixing, which actually has been the friend of the markets and something that I think investors need to continue to watch. So 9 p.m., the fixing of the yuan. Um 
yields have definitely been a driver. Yeah, of have, I mean, well. now you we'll probably have it. Like we used to put the Bitcoin. What do they call that uh, thing in the lower? Forget that for now. Bug. No, we have it. See there, right there. Bug. Ten years. We have a yield bug. There's a yield bug. I don't even know that. It's right there. I mean, you got to watch that again. I think you got to continue to watch the gold market for sure. And ask yourself, I think this is an important question, Brian brings it up all the time, is that a currency war or is it a currency crisis? And I'll say it, you better hope it's a war, because if it's a crisis, we've got bigger problems than just dial down 800, folks. Karen, what will be on your screen first thing in the morning? Uh, probably a sea of red, I guess. <laughs> we could be looking, I don't know, at a turnaround Thursday, maybe. I mean, I've got a list of stuff to buy, but uh, I won't be buying first thing. Up next, the Dow dropping 800 points in today's sell-off, and one trader bet nearly $1 million that the market madness is just getting started. Plus, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking about where to put your money to work after today's big sell-off. That is coming up on Mad Money at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. We have a market flash on Pivotal Software. The stock soaring after a filing showed Dell and VMware are in talks to buy the firm for $15 a share, sending shares higher by 62.5% in the after-hour session. Pete, just quickly, you were uh, talking about... This has been talked about a little bit here and there, and so Pivotal's been in the news for a while. But, uh, wow, this is a pretty amazing number because given where the stock was and where they're willing to pay up to, this is pretty significant. Yes, yeah. Getting back to the markets, the Dow plunging 800 points today as market volatility ramps up in a big way. One options trader is betting nearly $1 million that the wild swings in the market could get even wilder. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. It was already a pretty wild day in the options market. We saw over 27 million contracts trade overall. That's versus about 18.9 million contracts as the 50-day moving average of volume. Where we saw a very interesting trade, and many of them actually, was in the VIX index. Specifically, I was looking at the September 30-35 call spread. Somebody paid a little over 30 cents for 26,700 of those call spreads, which could potentially be worth $5. And I think the important thing to think about here is not just that someone's betting that the VIX could go above 30, because the underlying instrument for these options is the VIX future. What happens is when you see a lot of volatility, the VIX curve actually ends up in backwardation. Spot VIX will end up even higher. For example, these specific futures traded under 20 and a half probably at the close, whereas the VIX spot was about 22 and change. So a bet that that future rises above 30 is a bet that something pretty wild is going on in the marketplace. Yeah. Pete, you were mentioning uh, yeah. the action today. Yep. Today and, yeah. and recent, recent days where we've seen volatility and people coming in, and we've, we've talked about the January calls as well that were being bought in the 30s. So when people see this thing moving the way it is, and it's up 25% today, 26% today, I think there's a little bit of fever that goes on that says, you know what, maybe we're not done yet. Maybe there's a little bit more to come. Maybe a blow-off top, for that matter. Yeah. In the VIX. It, it, yes. But, but again, what was troubling to me today is to see the VIX around 20, low 21 handle in an environment where we really have so much systemic risk on the table. And, and it, it just the, the one thing also about in terms of the bond market moves, uh, CTAs, I don't want to get too deep, deep into this kind of you know, weird rabbit hole, but uh, highly levered players are playing. Typically, they play the bond market and they play the bond market for moves of a couple basis points and they lever it up. The duration risk that's going on out there um, has been something that's extraordinary, but we haven't heard about hedge fund blowups, which, you know, again, there's a lot of credit exposure there. uh, And I think it's something you have to be aware of. Yeah. um, But also when you take a look, when you see volatility going higher, you think things are getting more expensive in terms of options. Yes. Some people might say time to time to insure the portfolio. Well, what's not time today 
Today the house is on fire, right? I mean, so not that it couldn't entirely burn. It could. But, you know, I don't think this is the time to buy. They were giving them away just it's two days well, ago. Not, ago. not two ago. weeks ago. Yeah. Well, even, even two 12. days ago when we had that spike, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a time to, to be right. adding. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, sometimes I say sell puts. I never naked sell them. I'm right. only selling ones that I'm already long. Right. So I don't believe in that. And, yeah. Or own the put and mm-hmm. sell that. Um, Mike, for somebody who wants to insure their portfolio now, because finally they've gotten nervous, what would you recommend? Well, you know, it's interesting. So when options premiums go up, it tends to lift all of them. So if it's really a disaster that you're concerned about, choosing out-of-the-money put spreads that are relatively tight strikes but are still trading for very good payoffs, so 5 to 1 or 6 to 1, you can allocate a small amount of your portfolio to something like that. And that's actually what this VIX call spread buyer is also doing. This thing could be worth 5 bucks. They're spending 30 cents. Now, a rise above 30 is a real disaster, and obviously that payoff is going to be needed if we start seeing VIX levels at that, at that high price. Thanks, Mike. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For the full Options Action Show, be sure to tune in this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, final trades. Final trade time. Pete Nigerian. Well, I got to tell you. I'm looking around. It's very, very difficult, but I saw some call buying in a Chinese name. Luke, I'm going to, I bought that stock today. I'm selling calls against it. Starbucks of China. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and a day like today, I think you take some safety in snacks. And I think the snack Ooh. business of Pepsi is also very oh. defensive at a difficult time. Probably small relative value pickup over Coke. Karen. So tomorrow after I wait and watch, the first thing on my list is United Rentals calls. They've been crushed, and I think there's huge value there. Big special coming up, Mel. Is it big? What time? Pretty big. 7 p.m. an hour from now. Yep. What I'll tell you is, although nothing <laughs> is impervious to the broader market sell-off, Good I word. believe bio, thank you, biotech, maybe Amgen. All right. As Guy had mentioned, we will see you back here at 7 o'clock for that special Markets in Turmoil. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.